All right. Sorry about the socks. I got dressed in the dark. They weren't nearly as bright. Oh, well. All right. So uh, we, we are. I, I do want to encourage you to get involved in, in what we're doing with Kennesaw Mountain. It's, it's been fun. It's exciting. Uh, just building relationship with Kennesaw Mountain High School. Um, I was at a volleyball game last week at Kennesaw, Kennesaw Mountain. I was actually watching my niece play volleyball, and, and I noticed a couple of girls off to the side, and one was whispering in her friend's ear and pointing at me. And uh, that hasn't happened to me in a long time, y'all. And uh, <laughs> so after a few minutes, she comes over and she says, you taught my character ed class. I said, yes, I did. And then a couple of days after that, I was out here on the basketball court, and I called the guys together center court. It was Wednesday, and, and uh, I was giving them the rules. We do have rules for our basketball court, and I was giving them the three rules for our basketball court. And afterwards, I was walking off the court, and I heard one of them say, hey, I remember you from school. You taught my character ed class. So we're not just going over there randomly teaching classes. We're actually having a chance to build relationships with these students and get to know them and, and come alongside these teachers and really support them and encourage them in what they're doing. So pray, and when there are opportunities to get involved, I, I do encourage you uh, to get involved. And, um, and also, I was instructed by the higher-ups to uh, mention the dinner, sign up for the dinner, it's going to be great, it's a tailgate, you get to wear your school colors, all right, so I want you to turn with me to Luke 11, and, and we're, going to, we're going to get there in a minute, uh, I want to say a couple of things before we jump into Luke 11, uh, our, our vision, the vision that God has given us for our church is uh, community transformation, I'm supposed to say something about this barcode thing, what, what do you call those things, URL? You are. What is it? QR. Okay, I'm so up on technology. Um, so whatever, y'all know what that is, and you know what to do with it. Get your phone out, click, and you're up, signed up for the dinner. So there you go. Our vision for church, for our church, that God, we feel like God has given us is community transformation. And there are a lot of ways that you can get after that. There are things that we believe God has called us to do. And, uh, you know, you, you've heard us talk about that. And, you know, one thing that's really simple but very important is being a welcoming church, creating a culture of hospitality. I don't know if you know this or not, but most people decide in the first 10 minutes whether they're coming back to a church or not. When they visit for the first time or the second time, in the first 10 minutes they decide whether they're going to actually give this church a shot at being their home. 10 minutes. Now, you need to understand that in 10 minutes, in the first 10 minutes for most of them, guess what they haven't heard? They haven't heard the band, and they haven't heard the preacher. You know what they've done? They've met you. They've met you in the hallway. The way that they're greeted in the parking lot, the way that they're greeted and welcomed in the hallway, usually determines whether or not they come back. Uh, so hospitality is a big deal. Training and equipping, you, you hear us talk about that and really emphasize that. That's really what the RS Together classes are about, is training and equipping. Uh, Ephesians says that that is the work of the church. Paul says this is why the church exists, is to train and equip the saints for the work of ministry. So training and equipping is a way that you get at community transformation. Being a go-to 
church rather than just a come to us church, being a go to the community church. And that's why we do the things like uh, Kennesaw Mountain High School and, and other outreaches that we do. We want to be a missional church that is going to the community, not just sitting back and waiting and hoping that the community will come to us. Another way that we believe the community can be transformed is by being a worshiping church. Nothing is more transformational than the presence of God. And so we love to come together in worship and engage the presence of God because it changes us. It changes us and it it better equips us and prepares us to be the people of God in the world. Uh, Also healing. Uh, We place the emphasis on healing because the world is sick. The world is sick and people are in need of healing. There are people here today who need physical healing. There are people here today who need emotional healing. There are people here today who need relational healing. There are people here today who need heart healing. People here today who have experienced disappointment. People who are walking in grief. Uh, We want to be a healing church, a place uh, where people can come and and be renewed and refreshed and and healed. Uh, We want to be a love-centered church. A love-centered church. I, I was telling some of the guys uh, earlier today, uh, I, I heard about this preacher in, I think it was South America. He got up to preach his message, and he said, uh, children love one another, and then he sat down. And everybody just sat there, kind of like you're just sitting there right now. And he, he got up then and said, children love one another, and then he sat back down, and they still just sat there. And then the third time he got up and he said, children love one another. When you do that, I'll tell you the next thing. And he left. (laughs) So we want to be a a love-centered church. All of those things are are important. All of those things play a role in community transformation. But when Jesus was with his disciples and they looked at their community and Jesus said, the fields are are white, his first command, the very first thing that he said to do was to pray. So let's look at Luke 11, beginning at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Lord, I pray that you would teach us today. We need to learn from you. I know that you have things that you want to say to us, things that you want us to hear from you. And so I pray, open our ears and open our hearts and allow us, God, to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, before I actually jump into the message today, I want to just take a personal privilege and give a big shout out to Brian Jones. Um, Brian Jones is running words today, and uh, I actually, um, I don't do this often, but I actually wrote this sermon this morning. Um, kind of prayed on it and stewed on, on it all week and wrestled with it, not knowing exactly where to go with it, and then wrote it this morning. And so, John, Brian, bless his heart. Uh, we actually have slides, even though I didn't finish the sermon until this morning. Brian went the extra mile and put together some slides for you guys. And so, good job, Brian. Yeah. So, uh, the first word to, that Jesus gave to his disciples, when he looked out at the community and he saw that the community was broken and that the community was lost, the first thing he said to his disciples was pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Uh, Jim Frankel is a columnist for the Cleveland Press, and he said this, If American civilization collapses, historians will look back and say they entertained themselves to death. 1961, he said that. In 1961. A.W. Tozer once said, America is laughing her way to hell. Samuel Chadwick was a Methodist preacher. Uh, he was born in 1860, lived to 1932. Uh, Samuel Chadwick once said, the crying sin of the church is her laziness after God. He also said this, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the church from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our efforts. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So the question has been asked, what happens when we pray? Everything. What happens when we don't? Nothing. Nothing. If you know God today, somebody prayed. If you know God today, somebody prayed. None of us came to the Lord without somebody praying. I, I, I had an Aunt Virgie in my life. Aunt Virgie prayed for me before I was even born. She was praying. She had one hope in her life. 
Her one dream was that she would have a son and he would grow up to be a preacher. She had no children. She found out after she got married that she couldn't have children and she cried out to the Lord and he said, keep praying, keep praying. And so she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and the day that I was born, the Lord spoke to her and said, that's your preacher. She prayed me into this. <laughs> Be careful. There was a, a revival in the 1904-1905 in Wales. Uh, there was a guy named uh, John Jenkins, who was a Methodist preacher. And then there was a guy named Evan Roberts. And, and they both played a big role in this revival that, that, that swept an entire nation. Evan Roberts, he was 26 years old, and he had been praying and praying and praying for, for months and months and months before this revival. There were revivals that were springing up in other places, and he was jealous for that, but he felt like God had called him to go and, and be educated for ministry, and he didn't want to go. He just wanted to launch into revival, but, but he was obedient, and he went to be trained in the ministry, and as he was being trained, he continued to pray for revival for Wales, and as he prayed, he, ha- he said he had a vision, and he saw the number 100,000. He came back to his hometown after about three months of studies and in a prayer meeting with some young people, revival broke out. And over the course of the next year, 100,000 people came to Christ. 100,000 people. If you ask Evan Roberts, if you ask John Jenkins, what was the key to the revival that swept Wales and, and changed the country so completely that judges and police officers had to get new jobs? Because there was no crime. Jails were empty. Bars closed down. The farmers couldn't get their uh, donkeys, their mules, to do what they were telling them to do because the mules were used to them cursing and they had stopped cursing. It was crazy. This revival that swept a whole nation and, if, and, and it spilled out into other nations around the world. And if you ask Jenkins or if you ask Roberts what was the key to the revival and they said prayer. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed and then after we had prayed, we prayed. Samuel Chadwick again said this. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer of Abraham pleading for Sodom, of Jacob wrestling in the night, of Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus sweating blood. Such prayer prevails. It turns ordinary people into people of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. The question for us is, will you be someone's Aunt Virgie? Will you be the reason that someone in your life comes to Jesus because you would not stop? Because you were audacious in your approach to the throne.
and wouldn't give up? Will you be the Evan Roberts of Cobb County? Evan Roberts' prayer before the Lord, before this revival, was God, bend me. Bend me, bend me, bend me. Because he knew that he had to be changed before his community could be changed. Bend me. Robert Murray McShane, amazing man, he, he died at the age of 30. He died at the age of 30, and, and yet he's still, he's known worldwide. He, he was from Scotland. He said he knew Hebrew well enough to talk to Eric. Uh, he, you know, he, he knew Hebrew, Eric, well enough to discuss Judaism with Jewish scholars. Uh, he was a brilliant guy. He wrote his journal in Latin. When he would do his prayer journal, he wrote in Latin in, fa- in case his journal fell into the hands of someone that he didn't want to understand what he was saying. So he wrote in Latin. He was a brilliant guy. He was a poet. He was a hymn writer. All sorts of, of things, all sorts of talents and gifts, but, but he was known. The thing that he was famous for was being a man of prayer. And his most famous quote was this, I am who I am. On my knees before God, nothing more, nothing less. There is a reason why the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. They didn't ask him anything else. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to preach. They didn't say, Lord, it would be cool if you taught us how to tell those parables. He, they said, teach us to pray because it truly is our most important task. Dr. P.T. Forsyth was the Dean of Theology at the University of London. Uh, He died in 1921. And he said this, it is truer to say that we live the Christian life in order to pray than that we pray in order to live the Christian life. We will see this community transformed if we pray. We will not if we don't. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what else we do. If, we, if prayer is not first, if everything that we do is not birthed in and bathed in prayer, the community will not be transformed. It's not a case of social action. It starts with prayer. Because what we're asking God for is a supernatural transformation. And it will not happen apart from prayer. And so our first call, our most important task, is to pray. So let me kind of lay out for you a little bit uh, the progression of prayer. Because I know that that, uh, we're at different places in this place. In, In this room, the men and women here, you're in different places when it comes to prayer, but, but you need to be someplace. You need to be someplace, okay? Uh, number one, I believe that every person who is in relationship with Jesus, in, even in the least, has a desire to pray. There are many of you who you would say, I wish I prayed more. I wish I was more faithful in prayer. I wish I was more powerful in prayer. I wish that I was not intimidated by other people 
in corporate prayer meetings. I wish I spent more time in prayer. I wish I had more time to pray. I wish, I wish, I wish. All of us have some kind of a desire to pray. And here's what I would say to you, if that's what you have, is just desire and you haven't been able to quite take the next step, you have got to find a place of discipline in your prayer. You just got to do it. Even if you don't feel powerful, even if you don't feel like you do it right or well, you just got to do it. Again, my favorite quote, the difference between people who do stuff and people who don't do stuff is that people who do stuff do stuff. Do it. Just pray. I'm not asking you to pray great. I'm not even asking you to pray eloquently or powerfully. I'm just asking you, pray. Take that step of discipline. Find a place. Here's how you take the step of discipline. Is that you stop hoping that one day you'll wake up and the spirit of prayer will jump on you. Find a place. Find a place. Get a place in your house. I think it was Jonathan Edwards prayed in a tree house behind his house so he wouldn't be bothered. Build a tree house. Find a place and pick a time. Find a place and pick a time. Make a date with God and be there. She hates it when I do this, but when I met this lady on the front row, so I asked her out, and then at the end of the first date, I asked her out, that was on Sunday night. Then I asked her out for Thursday night and Friday night. She said, yes, yes. And then I asked her for Saturday night, and she said, no. And I just hung her out on Saturday just in case she changed her mind. Make a date and show up. Who knows? God may show up. Make a date. Find you a place. Set a time. And be there. Desire, if you will add discipline to your desire, if you will just make the decision, you know what, I'm going to do this. I don't know how to do it. I've never been good at it, but I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. If you will add discipline to your desire, and if you will do that for a season of time, I promise you, I promise you, you will go from discipline to delight. I, I can't tell you what it was like in the early days when the Lord called me to get up at 4 o'clock and pray. And it was so hard because I loved to sleep. <laughs> and it was so hard. And after... Seriously, after about two years, it was still hard. But I did it. I was committed to it. I wouldn't stop. And I remember clearly. I can see my hands 
the night before I went to bed trembling as I set my coffee cup up ready for the next morning so I could push the timer and the coffee would be ready at 4 o'clock when I got up. I can see my hands trembling at the coffee pot because I couldn't wait to get up. I couldn't wait. If you will just do it, God will take you from discipline to delight. And once you get to the place of delight, you will emerge. You will just see life explode before you in the place of discovery. And the place of discovery is where God starts to tell you his secrets. Once you get to the place of discovery, getting you into the place of prayer won't be the issue. Getting you out of the place of prayer will become the issue. When you find, you know what? An hour is not long enough anymore. (laughs) Two hours is not long enough anymore. Three hours is not long enough anymore. And you begin to see yourself just giving more and more time to the place of prayer. And then you'll find in your life that because you're praying more, you're not doing less. You're doing more. You're doing more because you're operating on supernatural energy rather than natural. God will open your eyes to his mind and his heart. And you will see the unseen. If I told you, hey, you know, Austin and Spencer, they're going to China, and so they want to write songs in the language of China, right? If you were going to Mexico, you would want to know Spanish. There's, there's nothing worse than being in a place where you can't understand. You don't know the language. If I told you, that I could teach you the language of heaven, would you be interested? Maybe, just kind of. If I told you I could teach you the language of heaven, would you be interested? The language of heaven is prayer. It's the language of heaven. Spanish, not English, it's not tongues. The language of heaven is prayer. Heaven rejoices when the people of God pray. Heaven doesn't care what language you speak. Heaven knows all the languages. Heaven just wants you to speak heaven's language, which is the language of prayer. This is is what I'm asking today. We live in a broken world that is lost in sin. We live in a a broken country that is in a broken world. And our broken country is lost in sin. And we live in a broken state, in a broken country, in a broken world. We live in a broken community. We live in a broken community that is lost in sin. 
It is lost and it is broken. And what I'm asking you today is can we, as a body of people, commit to the Lord that we will pray for our community like we never have before? If you don't, will you start? If you do, will you promise not to stop? And if you can, will you increase? If you don't, will you start? If you do, will you promise not to stop? And if you can, will you increase? That's all I'm asking. That's what I'm asking because I am more convinced than ever before that when it comes to community transformation, we're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. He's waiting for us to pray. He's waiting for us to be annoying in our prayer. To be so persistent that our knocking sounds like that drippy faucet that won't go away. And he has no choice but to respond because he promised that he would. Now let's pray.